0: Great job, Abigail. Thank you, Ben. Can we give the band one more round of applause? They work so hard, man. You guys are awesome. Uh, One thing I want you to really notice in that song, it's a really, you know, uh, it's from the scriptures. It's an idea. We don't just sing, thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood applied. It's applied to you. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. God knows I don't deserve it okay, and so it, as amazing as the gift of his shed blood, the, the king of kings, the Lord of lords shed his blood on our behalf, but not just that, but then he applies it, and we get to live in freedom, we get to live under his grace, in his grace, and flourish in this life under that, so thank you guys for coming this morning, welcome, we'll be in Daniel chapter 6 today, there's no shame in having to look at the, the table of contents first, that's fine, okay, it's in the Old Testament, uh, we're looking at Daniel and the lion's den this morning, you ever heard of that? Okay, so over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at these really famous stories in the Old Testament stories that you're probably familiar with, you know. Uh, what, but what you know, we often remember what we often remember isn't really the case. They aren't; they are not these nice, kind of simple stories that you might remember. Since you know, a lot of these stories have been kind of built as children's stories. They've lost a lot of the interesting stuff in our heads. Okay, because so, like Noah didn't like frolic from a field onto a boat with bunnies. A little more complicated than that. There's stories of political drama, power struggles, executions, and affairs that would make James Bond blush. Okay, it's it's wild up in there. So they're really not these innocent little kid stories. I remember having, I remember hearing these stories back in VBS. Anybody go to VBS back in the day? Okay, so good. Vacation Bible school. Okay. Uh, You know, David with his slingshot. Adam and Eve with their designer fig apparel. All good, you know. But we missed, when I heard the stories, we missed how David cut Goliath's head off, and how Noah, after the flood, got drunk and went streaking. Look at the text. That happened. Okay, so what we'll see today and over the next few weeks is these stories don't provide heroes that we're trying to be, but they point to a Savior who we desperately need. We don't, they're not, we're not like trying to be like Daniel. There are things that we're going to look at in Daniel's story today that we need to mimic, that we can embody, that we need to look at his faith and we can be like, but yes, but Jesus is the hero of the Old Testament. Okay, so like in the story of Noah and the ark, okay, uh, we see God rescue humanity by providing safety through a vessel made of trees. And then he provides safety through us by his son dying on a tree. All throughout the Old Testament, Jesus is everywhere. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's all about Jesus. Man, I want y'all to get fired. Turn to another neighbor and say, other neighbor. You weren't my first choice, but I want you to know. Jesus is the hero of the Old Testament. I want y'all to be as fired up about this as I am because, they're, all right, that's enough. So sometimes, okay, pastors will kind of mine through Old Testament stories trying to find examples for y'all to mimic. You know, so we'll preach sermons like dare to be like Daniel or be courageous like David or learn some leadership skills from Nehemiah. You know, we'll preach sermons like that, but that's not what really we mean by gospel-centered because... Sermons like that, and I've been guilty of it plenty in the past, sermons like that are often disconnected from the big story of the scriptures, which is all about Jesus, It all centers on Jesus. So it's true that the Old Testament characters, like I mentioned, they provide us with examples that, you know, good and bad examples, but the bullseye is it's about Jesus and it points to Jesus. So Daniel's story, where we'll be today... You know, it's, it is full of risk. It's full of courage. It's, he's demoted for telling the truth. All kind of things happen to him that we can look at and study and go, hey, I need to, you know, I need to live like that. But his story points directly to another who would be thrown into the den on our behalf. Tim Keller says, Jesus is the true and better Daniel, having been lowered into a lion's den of death and who emerged alive and vindicated by our God. Like Daniel, Jesus was thrown to the lions, even though he didn't deserve it, like Daniel didn't deserve it. But unlike Daniel, God would not protect his son from the lions. Jesus allowed himself to be crushed on our behalf. Daniel's story points directly to Jesus who died in our place. So, as we get into Daniel chapter 6 today, I want to quickly summarize the first five books of Daniel. I'll go as quick as I can, okay, because there's so much good stuff that I don't want us to kind of blow through and just go to the episode of Daniel in the Lion's Den, right? And so I want you to see the, the big picture of what's happening because this is not just like a one-time crazy decision by Daniel that he gets some courage one time, okay? No, Daniel consistently worshiped God and spoke for God and stood for God in the midst of a pluralistic culture. Pluralistic means that they had a lot of different gods, not just one God. So, and they pressured, they applied pressure to him to do the same. So let's look at Daniel's origin story. Amen. Good. So Daniel was Jewish, okay? He was Jewish, but he ended up in a foreign land, the foreign land of Babylon. So this powerful king named Nebuchadnezzar, Say said that three times fast. I had, I preached, I got to preach this text in Spanish one time. And in Spanish, it's Nabu condo Nosor, And I messed that mug up. Every, I probably just messed it up then. I'm so sorry. Okay. So, So this powerful king, King Neb, we might call him today, he wanted some smart, capable, young Jewish men to be educated and trained so that they could now come serve him in the palace of Babylon. Really, his long-term strategy was to make them be Babylonian. And so that was his way of doing that. So after three years of training, Daniel's ready. Okay, he's gone through education, training. He's now ready to get to the king's palace to serve the king. Now, Jews had a very strict diet, right? And So avoiding certain foods and drinks at all costs, religiously, many foods and drinks that the king often ate so when Daniel finally got to the palace years of training this is a big deal he's of a select few Daniel 1.8 says that Daniel refused to defile himself whoa with the king's food now that's not a very smart move if you like to live this king could execute somebody for any reason no reason at all really but Daniel one nine says that God gave Daniel favor because he didn't eat the food so Now, this was not like Daniel, like he's doing keto or he's on a Whole30 and somebody offered him a slice of cake. He's avoiding carbs for the summer. That's not what's happening. Okay. This is a principled stand, and God gave Daniel favor for it. So you'll see that kind of small but really powerful statement a lot in Daniel's story. Like he stood for what was right. Even in the midst of tough times, he stood for what was right, even if it might really cost him. And then God would bless him for it. Even if it's almost like Daniel, just like eat the bacon, man. Like it's going to be fine in a couple hundred years. It's delicious. Michael Scott says it's good for me. It's it's fine. It's fine. Just just have a slice of bacon, man. But Daniel didn't eat for 10 days, okay? So he kept trusting God and God kept coming through. See, we all know the basic details of of the episode of Daniel and the lion's den. But what I often miss is the 1,000 times that God had already proven himself to Daniel. Daniel trusted God with his days, and that practice prepared him to trust God with his life. Every day, by these, all throughout the story, I would encourage you to read it this week, chapters one to five. God, over and over, Daniel trusted God with his days, and that prepared him when, he, when God wanted when, God, when he had to uh, offer his life. So, maybe you're in chapter 1 of your story today, right? you know, here in chapter 1, Daniel didn't know the ending. He didn't know, you know, he didn't know that we'd be talking about him in a couple thousand years, right? Maybe you're in chapter 1 and you're walking by faith. Day in, day out, walking by faith. You don't know where it's headed. Maybe God is building your faith in little steps like he was Daniel so that he can really show his greatness through you later. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. I heard one preacher say that we don't need prosperity theology, we need adversity theology, Okay, trusting God every day, preparing you for what's next. So after the whole not eating thing, Daniel and King Neb, they kind of start to get close, actually. Kind of sort of a working friendship. This is all happening in King Nebuchadnezzar's first year of leadership and his first reign, which is a pivotal time in any leader's uh, reign, right? So then the king... So they start to get close, and then the king starts having these crazy dreams. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says that his spirit was troubled. So the, his King Nebuchadnezzar, he was anxious, he was unsettled, he couldn't sleep. And so he called all these enchanters and sorcerers in to interpret his dream. It's a very common thing back then, you're having crazy dreams, you bring these enchanters and sorcerers in, and they you know, tell you what's going on. But, and you can read the text later, but they are very clearly making all this up. It's very, very clear. He's like, hey, what am I dreaming? What is this going on? And they're like, oh, king, live forever. And he's like, I'm going to tear you limb from limb. What is my dream? Just, I'm all quoting there, okay? So they end up bringing Daniel to the king. These guys are obviously full of it. They bring Daniel to the king, and he's able to interpret the dream. But, again, Daniel does something interesting and really dangerous. Okay, instead of saying, man, King Neb, I know what this is about. man. It, this dream means you're amazing, your feet don't stink, you're the best. That's what it means. Daniel says, blessed be the name of God. God has all the wisdom and might. (gasps) Gasp. Okay. The people are shocked because typically you told the king that he is full of wisdom and power. But Daniel stood up. And told the king, hey man, you actually don't know everything, but the king of kings does. And he could really help you out. I bet the people watching that day expected Daniel to be executed pretty quickly. But he got a promotion. Again, God gave Daniel favor for his faith. Not only was God prospering Daniel, but the people's minds and the king's mind was being changed because they were seeing Daniel's faith. So much so that even the king said, truly, your God is the God of God and the Lord of kings. Which, so for context... Like, what's the most anti-God government you could think of today? Right? Like, I, I would say North Korea. Okay, anti-God, want no, no part of God in any way. So let's imagine a young Jewish man moves to North Korea and tells Kim Jong-un, hey, Kim, listen, man, I'm not eating any of that. Okay, get that, out. I don't want that. And also, you don't know everything. What do you all think would happen pretty quickly? <laughs> Thank you, Taylor. Yes. I think he would be executed rather quickly. But then all of a sudden, Kim Jong-un's like, hey, you know what? I need to humble my heart. I need to listen to what this God has for me in my life. Like, what? Kim, are you, you know? So that's not dissimilar from what's happening here with Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar. So now... You know, King Nebuchadnezzar, he wasn't all, all the way bought in yet. He still has some discipleship to go because in chapter 3, we just did chapters 1 and 2. Chapter 3, he, he tries to kill Daniel's homies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they were sending up for God. So he's not all the way there yet. And by the way, it is Abednego, not Abednego. My gosh. Okay, please say it correctly. Thank you. Okay, so at the close of chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar. Again, again, picture Kim Jong-un, okay, died praising God, not just, of, not just among a lot of other gods. He died praising God as the one true God. It's amazing. So then King Nebuchadnezzar's son Belshazzar takes over. Don't name your kids that. But Belshazzar's is pretty quick because his son Darius killed him. It was real out there on the streets of Babylon. Things happened. So finally, here we are, chapter 6, okay, things are kind of coming to a head. So the new king Darius. Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. If you're keeping score, he really respected Daniel. So, and he actually he pointed him basically the CFO of Babylon. He's over all the operations in Babylon. But Daniel's faithfulness at this at this point had gained him some enemies. These dudes was jealous as a mug because they're like, I mean, you're from another country. You're from another religion. We don't know you. We don't know your family. And you're getting all these promotions and you have favor with the king. We don't like that. So these guys tricked the king, using his ego, into signing an injunction that would bring about Daniel's death sentence. Okay, so now here we are, chapter six of Daniel, verses six through nine. These high officials, the satraps, came by agreement to the king and they said this to him, Oh King Darius, live forever. You can just tell the kind of, you know, just oh, you're the best. Okay. You can tell who these guys are. All the high officials, they're still talking to him. All the high officials of the kingdom, the the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors, we all agree that you, king, should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition, whoever prays to any god or, or makes a petition or a prayer to any man for the next 30 days except to you, O king, you demand, king, that person needs to be cast into a den of lions. Now, O king establish this injunction and sign the document that it cannot be changed according to the law of Medes. They're really hemming him in here. And the Persians, which cannot be revoked. So King Uriah signed, the docu- Uriah signed the document and the injunction. Okay, so the real reason that they're wanting him to do this is because they're trying to trap Daniel. They know that Daniel prays three times a day. The injunction is for 30 days, so they have 90 chances to catch him in the act. And then look at Daniel in verse 10. I love this. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed... He went up, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. Everybody could see him. He got down on his knees there three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done all along. <laughs> I love the faith there. So we'll see God you know, protect Daniel from the hungry lions in a minute, but this is where the battle was won. Okay, this is where Daniel was able to stand tall in the big moments because he was on his knees in the small moments before the one true king. He and God, he and God every day, three times a day. Look at verses 11 to 13. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. So they came near and said to the king, they told on him, O king! Man, didn't you sign that injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days, except to you, O king, you're the man, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered back, Yeah, yeah, the thing stands fast according to the law of Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they told him, Daniel, who's one of the exiles, you know, that guy from Judah, pays no, man, he don't care about you like we do, O king. Or the injunction, he just, he's praying three times a day. So they set the trap. The king falls into the trap at work. But the king kind of starts to freak out because he did not want Daniel to be thrown. He, they got him because he didn't mean for, for somebody like Daniel to be thrown in. They, they, you know, so he trusted Daniel. His dad, his granddad trusted Daniel. And then 6.14 says that the king set his mind to deliver Daniel, but he was getting pressure from all sides. So the king gave in and had Daniel thrown into the lion's den, right? So, and realize, like you know, 100% of people who went into the lion's den died. Like, it, like, you're not going to see on Netflix, like, a documentary, Electric Chair Survivors. Like, it's over. This is a, this is a sure death sentence. It's not like, oh, well, maybe, maybe the lions will be hungry that day. Like, no, this is a done deal. Okay, he's a dead man walking. Look at verses 16 to 18. The king commanded, Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Again, think Kim Jong-un before somebody walks into the death chamber. He's like, I hope Jesus helps you. Okay, verse 17, and a stone was brought, wow, and laid on the mouth of the den. Do you see that? And the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace, spent the night fasting, no diversions, y'all know what I'm talking about? No diversions were brought to him that night, and he wasn't able to sleep at all, so Daniel's faith changed everybody's hearts. Let's keep reading all the way to verse 23 while we're going. Then, at the break of day, as as dawn struck the next morning, the king arose. He went, he hurried to the den of lions. He wanted to see if God had delivered it. And as he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. He stressed out The, the king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before my God. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. I'm not guilty of any of this stuff. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den, and no harm, not even a scratch, because he had trusted in God. Here's what we see in Daniel's story. Daniel trusted God, lived by faith, and rested easy. You know, Daniel's name in the Hebrew, Daniel, means God is my judge. His name means God is my judge. Because since God is the center of Daniel's story, he can rest easy and walk in faith. God's my judge. It's up to God what happens here. God is his judge. Nobody else. And if God is the center of your story... You can act boldly, rest easy, and walk in faith. You know, many people in our city, maybe even us, misunderstand this story. You know, the moral of the story is not, you know, like, God, shut the, li- shut the mouths of the lions, and if you'll just be good like Daniel, right, if, if you'll just be a good boy or a good girl, God's going to take care of you too. If, you, if you'll just be courageous and good, God's got your back. The moral of the story is not, if you obey God, nothing bad's going to happen to you. Okay, uh, that, that is not what Christianity teaches, and that's not what Daniel's story is about because, you know, Jesus trusted God way more than Daniel. Jesus was more innocent than Daniel. Jesus was thrown into a den. Jesus also had the stone rolled over at his tomb. The moral approach to the story just is not the message of the Bible. The approach to the story, you know, that goes, the moral of the story is to be courageous during trials so that you can go into the lion's den of life. It's just so far from what God is trying to show us in the story. The story points to a salvation done for us in the past and a salvation that stands ready for us in the future. If you notice... You know, miracles, and this is a miracle, obviously, miracles in the Bible are never just like naked displays of power, right? Like, they always demonstrate something bigger. You never see the disciples go, hey, girl, you see that mountain over there? And the mountain blows up. All right, you never see that. There are more effective ways of showing power than healing outcasts and feeding, you know, poor people. There really are. So, the miracles of the Bible are not suspensions of natural order, they are restorations of natural order. In the miracles, God is showing us what He wants the world to be like. An important note, too, this, this is so striking to me when I study this story. The story spans the lives of three kings, right? Daniel is not a young strapping man in his 20s fighting off lions. The scholars believe that he's 80 years old down there in the den, okay, relying on God, ready to be eaten. Or delivered. And you know, Daniel didn't say, Man, I'm too old for this. It's a young man's battle. Y'all go ahead. I'm out. Okay, no. Picture 80 year old Daniel walking through the den, petting the lions, unharmed, resting in his Savior. You know, Satan laughs at, you know, jets and and tanks, fighter jets and tanks, but he trembles when an 85 year old lady on a fixed income kneels to pray. Those fighter jets and those tanks do not spell his doom but her faith does. Daniel's story shows us a picture of Jesus. You know, in the Old Testament, lions represent the justice of God. Whenever you see lions in the Old Testament, that represents the justice of God. So while Daniel is spared from being crushed by the lions, Jesus wasn't, right? Jesus was crushed for you and for me by the lions, by the justice of God so that we wouldn't be. So how can I live in this world today? Because Jesus has already faced the lions for me. How can I live in light of my loneliness, my financial problems, my physical ailment, when people accuse me of different things, because Jesus has already been crushed by the lions for me. The only lions that can really kill me have already been destroyed by Jesus. I can live like that because Jesus has already been into the ultimate lion's den on my behalf. C.S. Lewis wrote, You'll never tame the lions of your life until you let God be the untamed lion of your life. In other words... Unless you fear God, not scared of God like we think, unless you revere him, unless you're in awe of who he is and what he's done for you, you're going to be afraid of a lot of stuff, actually. But if you're in awe of what he has done for you, you'll walk into every other lion's den of life saying, Danielle, God is my judge. Whatever happens, God is my judge. Solomon tells us something really interesting in Ecclesiastes. He says that nothing in this world is going to satisfy you. He says nothing under the sun is going to satisfy you. So if nothing under the sun is going to satisfy you, you have to go beyond the sun. There has to be something else out there, and that something is actually a someone, Jesus. You'll never never find ultimate meaning and satisfaction apart from him.